obviously there's an economic benefit to them if they don't have to buy fertilizer and we know from the research as well that milk solids per cow tends to be higher on the clover swords because higher feed quality and you get higher intake but like we've all the environmental benefits as well in terms of just removing that chemical fertilizer out of the system there's benefits there in in terms of um, emissions to be gained from having clover there and you know this is something that any farmer who's good at managing grass, you know, and has good soil fertility and so on, they can take advantage of clover in their system. Hello, I'm Cahal Summers. And I'm Deirdre Glenn. You're Chagas Sustainability Advisors. And you're welcome to the Chagas Environment Edge podcast number 56, bringing you the latest information, science and opinion to improve farm sustainability. With lots of clover on farms this year, how can farmers get the benefit from this free nitrogen producing factory on their land? Lecturer in Sustainable Agriculture, Dr. Deirdre Hennessy, University College Cork, joins us to discuss timing around reducing chemical nitrogen in clover swords. Deirdre, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you, Deirdre. Clover research to date has demonstrated very promising results. Are farmers starting to trust the ability of this little plant? They are, Deirdre, yeah. Um, I suppose it's taken a little bit of time to trust. Farmers have, you know, they've been reliant on chemical nitrogen fertiliser and I suppose in a way it's been the safe uh, the safe bet in terms of uh, nitrogen feeding their sward. But, you know, we've a lot of very good research done by Chagask in the last number of years and long-term studies. So the, the Clover study in Moor Park is in its 11th year, you know, um, and really... We've had lots of farmers visiting that study, um, lots of advisors um, and lots of information put out there. So they are starting to to trust it. Some of them, um, you know, they're going one or two paddocks and they're seeing how it gets on. And some of them are, you know, taking a bigger, a bigger jump or greater leap of faith um, and they're going, they're planting some more. But I suppose... One, one important thing in helping farmers to gain that trust has been um, the, the on-farm clover study, which um, Michael Egan and Caitlin Looney are involved in, um, where their farmers are sowing clover on farms or following, um, I suppose, a programme of incorporation. But, you know, th- those ro- results are, are being made available for people to see. Um, and that combined with the clover walks that have been held um, in the spring of this year, uh, 23, and last year, 22, where farmers can actually go and see the clover on the farm and they can ask the other farmer, like the host farmer questions. That's really um, that's really uh, helping farmers to gain some trust. And I suppose if we look back at open days, you know, in the past number of years, the questions or the comments around the clover work would have been, yeah, that's nice, but, you know, my system works fine with, with fertilizer. I'm not going to change. But in 21, there was a different type and type of question coming. It was like, OK, I'm going to put in clover next year. Tell me what to do. Tell me how I do this. Or I've sown clover this year. How am I going to keep now? When can I cut my nitrogen? How am I going to get the benefit of this clover? So I think there's a big shift in mindset for a lot of farmers around using clover. And they are. it is certainly gaining um, gaining their trust. It's funny, isn't it? A few farmers I talk to, they always say, um, it took until the fertilizer crisis to, re- to realize Jeez, it's this is too good to be true. Like it's just just didn't believe it. Now they kind of they're looking back and saying, why didn't we do this for years? Absolutely, Cahill. And look, the the fertilizer crisis last year and the cost and supply issues certainly, you know, I suppose forced the issue. 
if you want. And I suppose the important thing now, though, is to keep that momentum going and that people don't slip back into the old ways, you know, and that they continue to reap the benefits of the clover. You know, OK, obviously there's an economic benefit to them if they don't have to buy fertilizer. And we know from the research as well that milk solids per cow tends to be higher on the clover swords because higher feed quality and you get higher intake. But like we've all the environmental benefits as well in terms of just removing that chemical fertilizer out of the system. There's benefits there in, in terms of um, emissions to be gained from having clover there. Um, and, you know, this is something that any farmer who's good at managing grass, you know, and has good soil fertility and so on, they can take advantage of clover in their system. Um, and they don't have, to, you know, you can you can you can crawl before you walk. You don't have to do the, the whole thing. It doesn't have to be like almost nuclear that you're gone from having having uh, using nitrogen to using no nitrogen you know can be stepwise can be gradual um building up and gaining confidence in in your own farm and its ability to work with clover i suppose yeah. the factor too with the department of ag writing it into you know the derogation yeah. program as well absolutely Deirdre. and look all these things help i suppose you know sometimes farmers feel stuff is forced on them and to some extent it is but I suppose the good thing about this is that we do have the research and it's not, you know, sometimes research only starts when something becomes an issue or it has to be implemented or whatever. But we have we have good solid database uh, of, of research experiments over a good number of years. So like we have we don't have all the answers. But we have a lot of answers for farmers and there's lots of information available for them through their advisors and indeed going to farm walks and going to open days and so on. So, you know, yeah, the derogation farmers have to have to sow clover now. But sure, look, if they're going to sow it, it would be great if they could get the real advantages of having it there. And and because so many derogations, and to me that was a masterstroke putting it into derogation because you have to do it. But now all of a sudden, loads of farmers around the country uh, and really intensive farmers and lots of other ones as well have lots of clover sowed on their farm. And you mentioned the importance of fertility. What, what are the other really important factors that's supposed to maintain that clover in your sward? Yeah, so uh, like just on the fertility, Kyle, you know, pH... 6.3, 6.5 or even a bit higher is ideal for clover and at least index uh, 3 for P and K. But P and K are really important in terms of the in terms of the clover plant from establishment to nodule formation, which is where the action happens, if you like, where the where the nitrogen is converted to a usable form. Um, and to uh, to the growth of the plant. So P and K really important. And remember, you know, okay, we have restrictions on P, but like K isn't, we've no restrictions on K. So if your soil needs K, feed your soil because it'll be good for the grass component of, of the sward as well. Other things for clover are, um, you know, um, there needs to be some space in the sward for clover. So old butty swards, for example, there would be difficult if you were going the receipt, uh, the oversowing route to get your clover in there. Um, then it likes nice weather, but some moisture, so sunshine and a bit of rainfall. Um, but then to really take advantage of the clover, I suppose the other big thing to to um, work on is your grassland management and your nitrogen fertilizer management. So you do need good grassland management. So the way clover and grass grow, you have the two in the sward together. But grass tends to take up any nitrogen that's available in the soil faster than clover can. So it grows faster. So if you have 
poor grassland management. And what I mean by that is swards aren't grazed out properly. So there's a lot of old material left. It's going to shade out the clover. Or you have a very long uh, grazing interval or rotation length, like, you know, longer than 20 20, 22 days, the grass is going to grow higher than the clover and it's going to shade it out. So you need a little bit of space in the in the in the paddock or in the field for the clover. And then the other thing to look at is the nitrogen fertilizer. So as I said, clo- uh, grass can take up clover, uh, sorry, grass can take up nitrogen faster than clover can. So, you know, if you're constantly feeding that uh, grass, it'll grow faster. So you're risking risking shading out the clover. The other thing is like clover can actually use nitrogen that's supplied. So if it's using chemical nitrogen, you have good grazing management, you will keep the clover in the sward, but the, the ability or the, the level or the quantity of nitrogen that that clover is fixing is going to decline. It's not going to bother fixing it if it has it for free. So you're not actually taking advantage of having clover in the sward. And and then, Kyle, of course, generally, you know, you need a reasonable amount of clover in your sward to actually take advantage of that. So uh, generally, as clover content increases, uh, your rate of fixation will increase. Similarly, as your chemical fertilizer uh application rate increases your fixation will decrease so they're kind of the factors that influence clover but grazing management is very important once the clover is established and you mentioned ph there so just wondering we get some questions sometimes from our farmers in high molybdenum areas so the advice there is to maintain your ph at six and i know higher because it can call cause issues with the animals yeah uh, how is six okay for clover swords Probably will will struggle, Cahill, with the clover in in that low pH. Um, but then I mean you have to weigh it up because you you don't want to have a negative impact on your on your animal as well in the high molybdenum area. So it might be a bit more challenging to get clover to establish and persist in those swords. But I suppose you know there are challenges in, in all in all systems and it, and in in um in the swar types that we saw in the systems. And I, I guess in that scenario, you have to you have to put it in, okay? If you have to sow it, you have to sow it, for example, if the farmers are in derogation. But I suppose be aware that it might struggle a bit to establish, to, to establish and persist long-term in those soils. It kind of puts farmers in high molybdenum areas off trying to establish it, doesn't it really? Well, I suppose it does, Deirdre, because sure, all the messaging is, you know, you need good soil uh, soil fertility and pH being part of that. So, yeah, look, it'll work in most, clover will grow in most soil types, but there will be soil types where it'll be a struggle to um, to establish it and to get it to persist. So you have the high molybdenum soils, but also very peaty soils because by their nature, they have low soil pH anyway. Again, it's going to be a challenge to get them to get it to establish there. But you know, in other parts of the country where where you don't have those issues, farmers should try to get clover on on their on their grazing ground and take advantage of it because there's benefits for for them, but then there's a wider benefits for the environment. And it's great too that it can be established very, very cheaply too. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. So it can be established as part of your normal reseeding program. Or it can be stitched in or oversewn. Brilliant. This is a question that um, Cahal gave to me to give to you now, Deirdre. <laughs> ah, you hang me up to dry now, Deirdre. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in his words, does clover leaf size matter, Deirdre? Yeah, so if we, 
if we look at the old literature where the work would have been done on leaf size, and we haven't, I suppose, done a huge amount more recently on it, but we have um, uh, Tomás Turbert is starting uh, or has started a new programme looking at varieties and fixation and persistence and so on. But I suppose in terms of leaf size, I mean, if you think leaf size generally is kind of reflected in the, I suppose, the contribution of the clover to the sward and the height it grows in the sward. So you have small, medium and, and large leaves. That's how, how uh, leaf size, that's how clover is classified. So, you know, small leaf clover tends to grow reasonably close to the ground so you know ideal for sheep type grazing scenarios where they can get down quite close to the ground in terms of grazing medium leaf then for cattle graze swords because it can you know it fix its nitrogen and so on but it will also contribute to what the what the cattle are grazing because it's that bit further up in the sward and then large leaf clover i suppose can be very dominating in the sward. Um, I suppose any farmer who would have sown Aaron back along, you know, would say that it tended to dominate the sward. And I suppose maybe put farmers a bit off putting putting in clover because it kind of took over in parts of, of fields and led to herbage deficits in the spring and you did, there wasn't enough there to feed the cows. So clover leaf size does matter, uh, Deirdre. Um, and I suppose we would say for, for dairy cow and cattle grazing to go medium leaf um, and for sheep, small leaf. But now there is one cultivar of white clover that's classified as small leaf, but it's closer to the uh, the medium leafed cultivars than to the other small leafed um, cultivars, and it's a chaga spread cultivar, cool fin. So some farmers are using that as well quite successfully in their in their cattle grass hordes. So yeah, it is worth looking at the the leaf size, Deirdre. I think there's probably a role for a bit more research though around the white uh, the small leaf, and maybe that will have some role and does have some role in cattle grazed that we might be able to take advantage of its of its fix, fixation capacities um, maybe in a mix with the medium leaf which will okay you'll have the fixation from that as well but it's also contributing to what the what the cow or the or the cattle eat so you can probably do a little bit of a mix but again we haven't really done any work on that so you know that's so when I say we've a lot of research done but we haven't the answers to everything that's probably an area where there's there's room for a bit of research but generally we'd say small leaf for sheep uh, medium leaf for uh, cattle and cows and large if you want to maybe go on silage ground so what's the difference then um Georgia, between the red and the white clover varieties yeah so i suppose the big difference between the red and the and the white clover is their growth habit so uh, white clover has a stoloniferous growth habit which basically means it grows along the surface of the soil and it has almost like uh, runners, uh, like strawberry plant runners running across the surface of the soil. And that at nodes along that, it either sends down roots where, where the stolon will root. Um, and then the next node probably send up a shoot and you'll get a leaf and a flower if it's the summer. And it can grow continuously on that basis. If the stolon gets broken, you know, once there's a root and a leaf either side of where it's broken, it can continue to grow. Um, and once it's established, the white clover doesn't have a tap root. It relies on those adventitious roots that uh, grow along the stolon. Red clover then um, has a different growth habit. It's much more upright. It has a tap root. Um, it doesn't spread along the surface of the of the soil like the white clover does. 
Its growing point is also higher up in the in on the plant, so it's about four or five centimeters above ground level, whereas the white clover, the growing point is at ground level. So that makes um, white clover more suitable to grazing type scenario. Um, and that's why we end up a lot of the time seeing red clover for um, silage and white clover for grazing. And red clover, very good for silage production. White red clover uh, silage crops need very little nitrogen, might need a little bit of nitrogen for the first cut. Um, but that can be supplied through slurry. It doesn't have to be chemical nitrogen. And after that, it will essentially supply its own nitrogen. Um, so there, I suppose there are the big differences, Deirdre, between, between is, red and white. Is there a difference in longevity um, between the red and, and the white? There tends to be, Deirdre, yeah. So if you're grazing red clover, for example, it doesn't last very long because that growing point is going to be grazed by livestock unless there's very lax grazing going on. But then you're going to be hitting uh, herbage utilisation. And I suppose on a farm, you need to try and utilise as much of that low cost feed um, as possible. Um, and then silage, of course, is hard on a sward anyway, and we would tend to have to reseed um, silage swards more frequently. But if you sow red clover with a good uh, perennial ryegrass, um, and you could potentially sow some white clover in that mix as well. While the red clover might disappear out of your sward, you can continue to make silage from it if you have picked a suitable um, perennial ryegrass or cultivar or cultivars to, to be the companion species in the sward. So, you know, if it's silage ground and you're looking at the PPI, you need to pick cultivars that are, are good in terms of silage yield if it's dedicated silage ground. So there does tend to be some some variation alteration longevity or, or persistence. We're expecting clover to take off I suppose or and now look the weather's not ideal at the moment it's fairly dry yeah. for the last couple of weeks but yeah. in general clover will be well taken off at this stage Georgia, yeah. but farmers at home when they go out to the field how do you know how much clover is in the sward? Now, I know you did a really good, good demonstration in Moorpark in the open day the last yeah. time we were down there, but how does the normal farmer know like what, what's what's in it? Because sometimes it can look like loads and there mightn't be yeah. loads in it. Yeah, that's a really good question, Carl, because it is a little bit of a challenge to estimate. So I'd say the first thing to, to any farmer who's wondering, do they have good clover in their sward is like walk their paddocks, walk their fields. And if the clover is widespread across the, the, the field or the paddock, you know, they probably have a reasonably good establishment. It's if it's patchy, you, you'd be a bit worried about how much clover is going to be in the sward. And then, you know, have a look and see what you estimate is there. And, and a rule of thumb, not 100% not accurate, but, you know, if it looks like the paddock is 100% clover, it's probably 50% clover. If it looks like it's 20%, it's probably 10%. So about half what it looks like. So remember, the clover leaf is, is much bigger. Um, and it looks like it takes up much more space in the in the paddock than the grass just by the growth habit of the plant. So the, you have the clover leaves, you know, pointing up and there's three little leaflets on each on each leaf. So it looks like it takes up more space than the more upright um, perennial ryegrass. So that's a guide, Cahill. And I I think from looking at um, at the work in Park, you know, somewhere around 15 to 20 percent clover, white clover in April time you know, would suggest that there's good clover content in that field or that paddock, somewhere around that. And you're heading for a peak then of 35 to 45% in end of August, probably. 
Yeah, and you've mentioned distribution twice, I'd say now, of Clover in the conversation already today. So obviously it's vitally important. So if the grass the grass in this ward is not beside uh, abundant clover, it's not going to get the same amount of nitrogen as the, the, the ones beside the bunch, I presume. Yeah, so I suppose the way clover works and how it feeds the feeds the grass plant is you get very little direct plant to plant um, transfer of clover of sorry of nitrogen. So it's not like you have a clover plant here fixing nitrogen and the grass plant next to it is just like handing over the nitrogen to it. But what it does do is over time, the white clover uh, contributes to the organic matter pool in the soil um, and it does have a higher nitrogen content than the grass. So it's increasing that nitrogen in the soil. So if you are building your organic matter in the soil and you have grass plants there, then, you know, when nitrogen is released from the soil through that mineralization process. So when you have the organic nitrogen being converted to a plant usable form like um, ammonium or, or nitrate that the grass plant can use, if there's more of that available, there's more available for the grass plant to take up. So I suppose, you know, that's kind of why that's another difference, I suppose, Deirdre, between going back to the red clover and the white clover, like when clover plants are fixing nitrogen they're using that nitrogen for themselves initially and then it's through decay of stolons and old leaf material and roots that they feed the, the the grass plant so the red clover plant grows more upright and i suppose um it take it fixes more nitrogen in the sense that it grows more itself and it grows faster than white clover, whereas the white clover is a little bit slower to establish. But once that white clover is growing, it is fixing nitrogen, but it's only using that nitrogen for itself. It takes a little while to feed into that organic nitrogen pool um, and feed the grass part of the sward. So it's a little bit of a slower process. It, there's one, there's something myself and Deirdre have come across a little bit where we walked into a field with a farmer and they said, just the clovers after taking over the sward, I'm going to have to check it with spray. Is there ever a time where there's too much clover in this ward? Or is it just a visual you know, that we're getting it wrong? Yeah, yeah. so in Ireland, Cahill, we're very rare that we have too much clover in a sward, to be perfectly honest. And, you know, if we were at that stage where farmers were worrying that they have too much clover in the sward, we'd be, we'd be winning on the clover front. Um, I would suggest to farmers who, who you know, have that experience though and are worried and maybe you know there will be somewhere they feel the clover is after taking over and maybe it has rather than going in with spray a, a way of dealing with that is to allow a higher cover to build on the sward before you graze it because that will going back to what we, what I was talking about earlier that will check the clover growth um, and it will help to reduce the cover. Sometimes farmers worry in the autumn as well, Cahill, that they have too much clover and they'll have no grass the following spring. So there's a few management things they can do there if they have um, paddocks that they think have a lot of clover in them. Graze them later in the last rotation. Don't graze them uh, in early October because, you know, there's a big period of regrowth there before they're going to get to, you know, next February. If they can graze them at the start of November, uh, they're going to take off all that clover cover um, and they're going to allow the grass to tiller during the winter because in general, clover will kind of die back during the winter. So if you have a very dominant clover sward, you know, at the end of, in the middle of November, say, because it was closed at the at the start of October, you know, all that clover is going to die back. But 
but it's going to be a slow process over the winter and it's going to take from the ability of the of the grass to tiller out. So like one management thing farmers can do if they're worried in the autumn is just graze those clover plots or paddocks off um, later in the last rotation. And I suppose the same follows true for new reseeds and oversown swords, graze them, don't graze them at the start of, of, of the last rotation, graze them kind of into the November period and go back and graze them early again in the spring, you know, to help the plant to tiller, but also to help the help with stolon production. Deirdre, when can farmers start to cut back on their nitrogen if they've got a good cover of clover? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question, Deirdre, because loads of people wonder about that. Um, so I suppose let's just think for a minute about how clover grows firstly. So grass, we all know grass starts to grow around soil temperature of five degrees, somewhere around that. But actually clover doesn't start growing until about soil temperature of eight degrees. So that's why in the spring, you know, we often might walk into a clover paddock and go, God, there's no clover here or there's only a small bit of clover because it tends to be low down in the sward. It's not actively growing. The temperatures aren't high enough. But, you know, for, for farmers who need feed, who need feed for their cows in, in the, that spring period, uh, February, March, April, they need to feed the grass component of the sward in particular. So you're probably going to go to your normal fertilizer February, March, April. But then once temperatures are rising um, and clover starts to like kick off in the sward, nitrogen can be cut back. So we we would generally say, Deirdre, from about May onwards and cut back nitrogen. So like the research we've done has been looking at 150 um, and there's some work going on now looking at 100, both in, in Moorpark and Clonakilty uh, um, and even lower if you look at the stuff that's been done in Solihead. So it's from March, sorry, from May onwards when clover starts to really make a contribution to the sward. But the other thing that's happening from May onwards is, remember we were talking a while ago about building that organic nitrogen pool in the soil. That's also the time when the bacteria that are releasing that nitrogen for plant use, they're really starting to kick off as well in terms of working. You know, soil temperature is increasing. They like warm temperatures. There's uh, good photosynthesis for um, energy production for both the grass and the and the clover plants and the soils still tend to be um, moist as in there's still rainfall so there's no soil moisture deficit so that the mineralizing bacteria are going to be working on releasing the nitrogen so you know you're really taking advantage then of the clovers fixing nitrogen it's using that to grow its component of the sward but then you have the organic matter being converted into a plant usable nitrogen for the grass so from May onwards Deirdre is the ideal time and I mean that the nitrogen application can be halved there's a variety of ways of dealing with it Nitrogen can be put out every second rotation or, you know, if a farmer is confident, they can they might choose to skip a few rounds of um, nitrogen. They, you know, for maybe you might skip nitrogen for the month of July or, you know, half of August or something like that. But th that's when you can save 100, 120 kilos of nitrogen in terms of application is during that May to August period. Brilliant. And a lot of farmers are grass measuring now anyway. So if they see something, they can react on you if, if there's something going Absolutely, on. Absolutely, Kyle. And I mean, the I suppose the beauty of grass measuring is every week or twice a week, you're seeing what's happening on the farm. And, you know, even even on grass only farms where there is no uh, clover, like we do need to bring some more 
bit more precision into into our fertilizer management and we do have to cut fertilizer use anyway so like measuring grass and knowing what's on your farm looking at forecast looking at the grass growth prediction that that's done in Moore Park every week like you can build a picture of what's happening on your farm and then you can use that information to make really good decisions around fertilizer use and look a simple thing is if if a farmer every every rotation has to skip paddocks because there's too much and they have to go you know and bale that grass that surplus there's too too much nitrogen in the system because you're they're growing more than they need so look there is space to pull back on fertilizer and i suppose again some of that is confidence cahill in in your in in yourself in making that decision but like if you can use as much information as as is available you can be confident and i suppose the other thing about grass measuring is uh, farmers who've been doing it for a number of years, like they build up really good knowledge on how their different paddocks react to different kind of weather scenarios and grazing scenarios and even fertilizer scenarios. And they know the paddocks that, you know, if, if I cut back the fertilizer on this one by 20% or 50%, this paddock is still going to grow. Okay. You know, I've good amount of clover in it or, you know, this part of the farm grows better when the weather is good than this part. And it's probably because there's more active bacteria in the soil for mineralization or something like that. But like grass measurement, I know it takes a little bit of time and it's a bit of practice and all that, but it gives such a wealth of information to the farmer that I think it's totally undervalued. You know, it's an important component of any farm business. Like, as, so, as you know, we, we often hear this, you can't you can't manage what you don't measure, but like, that's absolutely true. You know, we, we measure so many other components of our businesses, why not measure grass as well? Deirdre. Thanks a million for your time. Really enjoyed the chat and I know you started a new position as lecturer in sustainable agriculture in UCC lately. So I wish you the very best luck in your new role and thanks a million for joining us on the show. Thanks very much, Cahill. Thanks, Deirdre. That's it for this episode of the Chagas Environment Edge podcast. Thanks to Dr. Deirdre Hennessy, lecturer in sustainable agriculture in University College Cork for joining us on the show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Cahal Summers. And I'm Deirdre Glenn. Join us next time for the Chagas Environment Edge podcast, signpost to farm sustainability.